0: I love the silent hour of night, for blissful dreams may then arise, revealing to my charmed sight what may not bless my waking eyes.
1: Ah, I love Bronte.
2: Or in the words of another
1: great poet, Dr. Seuss, how did it get so late so soon? Welcome to the podcast. Today, we'll be talking about what comes after day. The night, that is. We're your hosts, Jordan Cohen Kaplan and Joshua Popka. We all know that Prague is alive during the day with thousands of people milling through its historic streets and squares. But the nighttime in Prague is storied, too, with ancient tales of magic and ghosts. Now to my co-host and reporter Joshua Popkin, who trekked to Old Town and bravely plunged into the spooky depths of Prague.
2: Daria wearing a black cape and a black top hat, leading us through the city streets of Prague. It's a bit chilly outside. Haven't seen any ghosts yet, but hopes are high.
3: Well, this, ladies and gentlemen, is considered to be the first case of bubonic plague in the year 1713, which actually started the whole epidemia. This house is really close to the marketplace, right? So we can imagine how whole- quickly almost well, half of the population died. That's why some people say the house still occurs double times. Once for the otimus complex, once for starting all of this. But never been properly laid to rest. She can still sometimes be seen gazing out of her window, as if she could still see her son slash husband hanging over there. And we never know, she actually might be watching us right now. I think that we should go.
2: Tour guide Daria just recounted the horrible story of the first case of the bubonic plague, a bit embellished with some details. Um, Ludmila was the name of the afflicted woman who had a departed husband, and they bore a son together. Eventually, after a few twists and turns, uh, Ludmila marries her son in a a modern version of the Oedipus story. Um and she was afflicted with the first case of the bubonic Plague on the very square that we were standing on.
3: This building that you are facing right now uh, is the Brothers of Mercy Hospital. It was established by the medieval times in the 13th century by St. Agnes. You see the bars over there on the windows? They are quite high, right? It's not like you could really climb up there to steal something super valuable from a hospital. All that's because this is not the reason. This hospital was also one of the first hospitals of Hazel. Today we call it a psychiatric cleaning. Back then it was called the Madhouse. These bars, they are not there to keep the robbers out. They are there to keep the crazies. Yeah. Also, uh, you might have noticed the hospital is actually directly connected to the church. You see the connection over here. I personally call this a smart is Because back then, if you were sentenced to a hospital like this one, you were most likely about to die. But yeah better than to die in the gutter on the streets, get all the nice nuns and brothers who care about you. So this connection is here to make it easier for the personnel of the hospital simply dump your body very quickly. I for myself don't like to stay in this place for such a long time because this is still an active hospital. i never stopped being a hospital ever since the foundation of the 13th century. So you count yourself for how long this facility served. Just imagine how many people must have suffered their last moments in there. Like it's not like when they remove your hand, you you can die from blood loss. That was one of the most common common ways to die at the time. Oh,
2: there's a bigger ghost tour that it's we just a passed by. Uh, They don't like Germans here.
3: (laughs) Nobody knows exactly what happened there that night, but we know one thing. The abbot wasn't found on his morning prayers. The monks, they looked everywhere. There was nowhere to be found. In the end, they noticed the crypt is open. So, early in the morning, so they climbed down with the lanterns in their hands and found the abbot with a knife stabbed into his heart. To tell you the truth, I'm not a a morning person. I'm not even a before-lunch person. So, I really like being outside in the night, Uh, especially around the castle, and when it gets even later on after 2 a.m., so the major buildings in Prague, uh, which you usually see they are lighted, they they usually turn them off around 2 a.m., and that's what I love the most. When you just uh, approach the old building, you see all the history, all the human lives that just passed by in front of that building, and you see it in the dark, It's it's just talking to you. It's actually my favorite thing.
1: Josh, it's been a long day.
2: Want to grab a drink? Let's do it. The night is when we shed our daytime selves to unwind, search for something different and party.
1: Bars and clubs house the night adventurers of Prague. To explore the Czech nightlife scene, we sent our broadcast reporter, Jeet Ganatra to talk to one of Prague's resident DJs.
0: My name's Tony. I'm originally from Manchester in England. I've lived in the Czech Republic for the past 17 years. Okay, Tony, so would you say there's a difference between your personality in the day versus the night? During the day, I work for uh, the British Council as an academic manager. So uh, during the day, it's working with people, um, dealing with various problems, dealing with students, etc. And in the night, it's also working with people uh, when I'm DJing. It's um, it's similar in the way that I'm making sure that people are, are having having a good time to use it very simplistically but also people are doing the things that they want to do when they're there so during the day and make sure that students in the, in the institution are happy at night and making sure that people on the dance floor are happy. It has its peaks and its troughs. If it's a Friday, for example, you get an after-work crowd. So if I'm playing at a bar or something, and maybe starting around 9, playing a bit of a chill-out session, you get people coming from work. So they're still work wearing their working clothes, and they're, they're having a good time on a Friday. Then they, they might stay or they might go. And then you get the hardcore parties coming out, which around about midnight, they'll be there dancing. And maybe another peak at 2, uh, where you get people coming to a place who have been at the bar or coming to a club. And then it, it sort of wanes away, and by about three o'clock, four o'clock, there's a hardcore left. The hardcore dancers and the hardcore drinkers.
4: What's your favorite nighttime activity uh, besides DJing?
0: With a, a one year old baby, it's actually sleeping at the moment. <laughs> um, I like, my favorite nighttime activity is I like. Uh being with a good group of friends in a good bar or a good pub, uh, good beer or good wine and just talking, uh, talking about things you don't normally talk about during the week, things you can't talk about uh, during work or wherever and you get into these long deep discussions. What I like about the Czech Republic is the bars have these long tables. But in like the UK, or I imagine in, in the States, but it's like islands, where it's long tables right. and people sit together, they get very close and they have very in depth discussions. So, one of my favorite nighttime activities is uh, yeah, be, being a beer philosopher, I think the term is.
3: And you kind of have to be in the Czech Republic you now. You
0: certainly do, yes, 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 yes. Um, so, you
2: had brought up uh, summer nights, and I just wanted to see if there's a difference between a typical summer night in Prague versus a winter night.
0: Definitely, I think um, Prague people are very much more summer people, and since they like going out, if you if you go out on a summer afternoon, turning into an evening, turning into a night, especially if you're down in the centre of town, down around Naplavka, there there'll be loads of people. People will be out. They'll be uh, eating outside. They'll be drinking outside, and they'll be staying outside partying until until the early hours. Um, in the winter, less so. In the winter people are mainly underground, inside and underground, so in, in bars and places. But, but, but in terms of numbers of people, definitely more people out and about. And I like that. I like that afternoon vibe um, in the summer uh, very much so.
1: When I was little, nighttime was really tough for me.
2: Nighttime can be scary, even for many adults. Our reporter Sarah Ehrman talked to a psychologist to see how he assuages nyctophobia, or fear of the dark, to you and me, for his patients.
5: My job is to understand people and to help them to face the situations that they're in.
6: If a patient came to you with a fear of the dark, and they've had it since childhood, how would you go about treating them?
5: for me any psychological disorder is that people are not congruent with themselves They somehow get away from themselves from the beginning, from birth we are some person some individual, some soul some, some being and we have to learn to be different in the world and almost all disorders come from Badly learning how to live in the world.
6: Do you think that the fear of the dark comes from childhood and like is something that you have from birth or is it something that's developed through your experiences?
5: (laughs) You try it again and again, but I won't answer this question. I have no theory. I don't want to have any idea in forehand how old the fear is. The the person will tell me. It's very different for each person, so I try to understand the person and not the problem. I'm person-centered and not problem-centered.
6: What kind of ways would you treat somebody who came in with that then? If they could not explain where the fear comes from, What questions would you ask?
5: How are you? What do you feel? Uh, What can you say about yourself? What what are you experiencing right now? What happens to you? How is it when you have this fear? What is exactly the, the feeling, the experience you have at that moment? Make them go into the experience, what really happens, what they live in
7: that moment.
6: When I was younger, I was afraid of the dark. So if I was coming to you at that time, how would I come to you to fix it?
5: So if an 11-year-old girl comes and suffers from fear of the dark, the first point would be to help her be comfortable in the situation with me. Therapy means to propose a space where people, children, anyone, uh, they can be themselves. And let out everything that's happening in the way they want to express it. So, generally, 11 years old children express it by drawing, by playing. So, we would take some time, meet several times, and then you would uh, express the fear you have to make it more concrete. It would mean that you are emotionally, during the therapy situation, from time to time, linked to this fear situation. Okay. That's something that's not happening at all now. No, you're completely brain-talking. You're not, not connected to the emotions.
1: For some, night is perpetual.
2: My division of night and day is not only based on time, but on the sun going down, the loss of daytime lighting. Some of our first clocks, sundials, Look at shadows to determine the time based on the sun's position in the sky. How do the blind differentiate night and day without any visual cues?
1: We sent Sarah to investigate man's, and a blind man's best friend, seeing eye dogs.
6: I'm here at SVVP Guide Dog Training Center. The facility is a single building surrounded by outdoor training spaces for the dogs. As you'll see when I go outside to meet one of the trainers, the surrounding area is full of car traffic and construction work, which probably makes it a good area to train dogs not to get distracted by loud noises.
7: Uh, I'm Teresa Janowska and I'm trainer of guide dog here. Okay, so can you tell me when a dog first comes
6: here, what do you have to do? So,
7: at first we have to find some family for our puppies. And if puppies are two months old, old, they go to the family and they learn to be a, just a family dog, to, to travel in the public and so on, and to be, don't, don't do the, the peeing and so on in the house. And uh, if they are one year old, they go back to the center here. And then we start to make some regular training with them.
6: When you're training the dogs, how does the training go?
7: It usually takes uh, at least six months. Usually it's, it, it takes longer time, but uh, we just learn them to walk in the streets to show all barriers. If the dog sees some stairs, he just st- st- stay there. So uh, many people think that dogs are able to to say that it's safe to to walk across the road, but it's not able to to learn the dogs to to, sh- to see if some car is going or not. So the dogs just show that there is a way, uh, there is a road. So this is going to be
6: interesting. I'm waiting for another trainer to bring out one of the dogs, and Teresa's going to let me put on goggles that will make me blind and walk with the dog in a white cane. And while I've been waiting, this really sweet Australian Shepherd came out and licked my face, which was great because I love Aussies. And it's, it's really interesting to see how the dogs are so happy and playful, but know that once the harness is put on, it's time to work. So I'm actually kind of lucky because the day I came for this interview, there's actually a family who is here looking at one of the dogs that they're interested in. So it's a father and daughter, and they're interested in one of these dogs. And it was very sweet to see because when the girl's walking with the dog for the first time outside, her father was taking pictures and you could see it that what the work that they do here is important work and you can you can see the dogs are happy to do it and the people are happy to do it
1: After I go out in Prague, I'm always starving. Me too. Do you have a favorite place to satisfy your late-night
2: hunger? A few. Kebabs are probably my favorite. When I'm craving a burrito or nachos, there's only one place to go. Burrito Loco.
1: I journey to the Burrito Loco across from one of Prague's busiest clubs, late on a Friday, to see how the chain of fast-food Mexican joints is able to feed so many drunk and hungry mouths.
4: <laughs>
1: We're across from a pretty popular club here in Old Town called M1, so we're hoping that there will be some late night traffic here, it's about 11.30 p.m., so we're hoping that there will be some, a good sample of the late night life in Prague here, coming into a Loco to get some late night eats. So it seems to be pretty uh, crowded right now, is, is this a typical crowd for a Friday night?
4: No, man, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Just the beginning, man.
1: And right, and right now you're bringing you're up a customer, right? You're, you're uh, figuring out what they need to pay? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Exactly, man. Exactly. So you just get two burritos with one guacamole, so it's about like 260 200, grounds.
1: So uh, what's your name? Uh, Lucas. Okay, and how long have you worked at Burrito Loco?
4: Two and a half years. Two and a half years,
1: and always at this location in Old Town. Yeah. All always time at here. this
4: location, but different shifts. I've started working at the morning and day shift, and after that, I'm working only at the night shift.
1: So now it's the night shift. It's 11:30 p.m. Could you tell me what the night shift is like here?
4: Uh, it's mostly about the drunken people because there is a famous LoHa Street, the street with the most clubs. In this area, so there is like 20 clubs around here. So most the drunk people come outside from the clubs and go for some food, and they go back uh, to the clubs or go home.
1: And so you said you've worked the day shift and the night shift in your career burrito loco. Do you have a preference between the two of them?
4: The day shift and the mornings. It's about it's it's more chill, you know. Normal people like not drunken, so. It's a pleasure to serve these people, but the drunken people, it's sometimes sometimes it's bad, you know. Sometimes they act, act like animals, but it depends on the people. On the night shifts, I like, like the bartenders and people who came every night, you know. It's like our like VIPs. Uh-huh. like the daily daily customers
1: do you ever wish that you only work the day shift or are you happy with what you're doing now
4: I'm happy because I think I'm a night um, night kind of people so I really like the night so
1: so what does nightlife mean to you in Prague do you think about it in relation to other European cities or do you just think about Prague or Prague
4: what you... is different? Prague is really different. Why is it different? About, about the nightlife, there's There's many clubs open late and after party clubs. And you can, you can drink on the street if you are not loud. So I think it's better than other cities. Mm-hmm.
2: Thanks for joining us. The podcast is put together by Jeet Kanatra,
1: Sarah Ehrman, and with the help of Rob Cameron. We've been your hosts, Jordan Cohen Kaplan, and Joshua Popkin. Make sure to check out broadcasts on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter, and we'll see you next time. Maybe we'll talk about daytime. Let's stick to night.